Well, good morning, Crossroads. It's good to be back with you. After my turn on the COVID-19 pandemic, I uh, would like to say I experienced very, very minimal symptoms, if any at all, but uh, caging an extrovert in his house for seven or more days feels just like torture. I'll just say it that way, all right? But sure, good to be back worshiping with you today. And uh, before we jump into uh, today's message, I want to give you an update on something that you should anticipate next Sunday. Next Sunday afternoon, we're going to be sending the people of Crossroads an email because we're interested in getting some feedback on one of the five areas we're focusing on in 2022. Back in November of 2021 on Vision Sunday, we shared with you where we feel like God is leading us in the next 12 months, and we listed out those five areas. If you're not familiar with those or you'd like to learn more about those, I'd encourage you to go to our website. You can go cccgo.com forward slash vision and hear about all those five things. But one of those five things is that we're placing an emphasis on the young people of our church, both kids and youth, because here's what we've learned. We're participating in a cohort a learning experience that tells us that 40 to 50% of kids who grow up in church after they graduate the high school leave their faith. Now, if we were to line up all the kids of our church in a line and we were to pick out uh, these five, you say goodbye to Jesus and you five stay with Jesus, that's not acceptable to us. We don't want any of your kids to walk away from their faith. We don't want any kid to walk away from their faith. And so, We're wanting some feedback from you right now, from our church family, to discover how well we are or how well we're not doing in this area of helping uh, kids like 15 to 29, people 15 to 29, learn how to live in love like Jesus and walk in that. So next weekend, you'll get an email, and it's just the first step in trying to figure out uh, how we can do better in this area. We hope that you'll participate by filling out that survey. It's actually for everybody in the church family. Now, uh, speaking of some goals, maybe in 2022, you set a personal goal to read at least one book. Raise your hand if you set a goal like that. It's a fairly common goal. Awesome. Well, I thought this morning I would share with you one of my favorite books, actually from one of my favorite authors. It's it's an author that has a collection of books, and this is a book that's right off my bookshelf. I've read it many times, and I reread it this past week in preparation for this new series that we're starting today. And I brought it with me, actually. It's this book, Are You My Mother? I don't know if you've read this book before, but if you haven't, let me just give you a brief summary. The book is about a young bird who before he was hatched, he was inside this safe little egg in his mother's nest. And before he was hatched, his mother realized that she didn't have any food for her young chick. And so she went off to find food for her new baby. And while she was gone, the egg hatched and out came this bird. And he looked around and found himself all alone. And he took a deep plunge from his nest down to the ground and began an epic search asking anyone and everyone, are you my mother? Now, I'm not going to tell you if he found his mother or not. You'll have to read the book to find that out, okay? I also was intrigued to find out they actually have a new sequel that's out. It's called Who's Your Daddy? Maybe you'll pick up a copy of that as well. That's not a real book. I photoshopped that in just in case you were to actually go looking for that. Well... Today, we're starting a four-week series that I think asks a similar penetrating question. It's a question that was posed to Jesus that Luke records in Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there, we're going to jump there in just a few moments. Over the next four weeks, we're going to focus all four weeks on this one encounter that Jesus has and the question posed to him in this moment, because I really do believe 
That this one moment, and especially this one answer, puts in perspective what it really means to live and to love like Jesus. This moment might be familiar to you. It's a a story that many of you have heard many times. But I hope, after spending some time looking at this moment from lots of different perspectives, that you you won't just become more familiar with this moment, but you'll actually live and love differently because of it. The world around us is getting more and more diverse as well as more and more polarized. And it's difficult for you and I to know how to engage with the people around us. How on earth do you and I love others well in such a current climate? Well, today our goal is to gain some perspective about this question that's posed to Jesus by looking at the context, not just the context of the moment where Jesus is asked this, but also a maybe fuller biblical context that would help you and I find ourselves in in better equipped to apply Jesus' answer to the context we find ourselves in. Now, Luke has been capturing all about the life of Jesus. Luke was not one of the 12 disciples. He was not even an eyewitness to Jesus, but he went on a careful examination of the life and ministry of Jesus, and he wanted to write about that to a person whose name was Theophilus. Many believe that his name means one who loves God. And Theophilus wasn't the only intended audience of this letter. You and I were too. Luke's account is characterized by literary excellence, by historical detail, but also by a warm, sensitive understanding of Jesus and also of those around him. One of the things that sets Luke's uh, gospel apart is that he's one who captures many of the parables that Jesus taught. You might not know what a parable is, but just in case you don't or do, uh, a parable is a a real-life story about everyday things that happen in our world, but that teaches a very powerful kingdom principle. We're going to focus on one of those parables in this series. So if you're in Luke 10, I want you to follow along with me as we look at the context that Jesus is telling this parable in. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, Luke says, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus had been teaching. He'd been performing many miracles. He'd been healing, and he had gathered quite a following. And those who were following Jesus, was they were quite a ragtag group of people. They were young and old, men and women, poor and rich, Jew, non-Jew. There were people who were really religious, and then there were people who had a very questionable past, a very awful reputation. It brought Jesus lots of criticism, but it also caused people to question, what does it really mean to have a relationship with God? Most at this point had the impression that to have a relationship with God, you had to do good. It was all focused on obedience to the law. And while Jesus didn't do anything to disobey the law, nor did he ever discredit it, people quickly got the impression that a relationship with God was something that was much more, much different, even much deeper. I think that's what troubled this man that Luke records coming to Jesus. He was asking a question, what does he have to do to inherit eternal life? Now, this wasn't out of left field question in that day, and it certainly even isn't in our day as well. The person who was asking it was described by Luke as as an expert in the law. This so-labeled expert was a scholar. He was well-versed in Scripture which at this point would have been the Old Testament law, the book of Psalms, as well as the prophetic writings. He was puzzled by what he had seen Jesus 
do in his life, what he was teaching and how it gelled with what he had learned and studied and also how it didn't gel with what he knew to be true. He was considered a lawyer of the day, which he was, he helped administer justice according to the Jewish system. But I want to be clear that his motives in asking Jesus this question were not pure. His question really wasn't one of interest, but really one of interrogation. He was questioning Jesus. He was testing him. He was trying to trick him and giving an answer to the question that he posed. And Jesus, like any good teacher, didn't respond with an answer. He actually responded with another question. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now the lawyer was being tested, right? Jesus was not examining his knowledge of the law, but really his ability to apply the law. He was more interested in not the right answer, but in right action. In verse 27, the man responded to Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This was the correct answer. In fact, Jesus provided this exact answer when he was asked a question probably by the exact same legal expert, but recorded by Matthew and also by Mark. Let's look at Matthew's account. It says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Some translations say is equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, Jesus says. The question was basically the same. How do I live a godly life? What does that look like? The command to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's part of what's called the Shema. It was something that was recited daily by people of Israel. It was recited in their families when they came to worship. It was kind of like the golden rule of the Old Testament. And while it wasn't one of the ten commandments that are listed, the first four of the commandments and many other of the Old Testament laws point to what it looks like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But don't miss the second command that Jesus includes, love your neighbor as yourself. This was not something Jesus was doing on the fly, like, huh, that sounds good. Let's put these two together and see what happens. No, that's not what he was doing. This command to love your neighbor comes straight from Leviticus chapter 19. The book of Leviticus is where all good intentions, read through the Bible in a year plan, go to die. If it doesn't happen in Leviticus, most people call it quits in numbers. Most people just aren't into numbers, right? But the Old Testament law as a whole really describes how to live a godly life. And the context for doing so always begins with the holiness of God. Leviticus chapter 19 begins, verses one and two. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. God's holiness is the premise for how to live a godly life. Holiness involves purity righteousness, separateness, distinction. And God commanded the people of Israel not to live like the people around them, but to live like him. And he also commanded them to love like him too. To love God and to love your neighbor has been called the double command of love. It was grouped together in one thing called the great 
commandment. The two go together. You can't have one without the other. If you love God and you love your neighbor, then you will be and do what God asks of you, what God expects. This love is not half-hearted or kind of a faint kind of love, but with everything, our thoughts, emotions, feelings, actions, all that has to be controlled by love for God and a love for others. Jesus said to this young legal expert, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I think that was the easiest question for Jesus to answer that day. But Luke records a second question that the man posed. And again, it was with less than pure motives. Look at verse 29. The man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? The man obviously knew the answer to the first question. And I believe he actually knew the answer to the second question as well. The Old Testament law was very clear on how to love God and how to love your neighbor. The other six commandments of the Ten Commandments are all focused on that love for others, like honor your father and mother, do not kill, do not steal, do not lie, do not commit adultery, do not covet things that others own. It's treating others fairly and kindly, respectfully, compassionately. Leviticus 19 starts with, be holy because I am holy. And then God prescribes ways that holiness plays out in loving others. And it actually identifies who our neighbor is. Leviticus 19 verse 3, God says, each of you must respect your mother and father. I am the Lord your God. Our neighbor includes our family. Leviticus 19, 9 and 10 says, when you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that fall them. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 11 and 12 says, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Verse 13 says, don't defraud or rob your neighbor. Don't hold back the wages of a hired worker. Even those that we work with or work for are considered part of our neighbor. Verse 14 says, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Those would both be cruel to talk to somebody who can't hear, to place something in the path of someone who cannot see. Don't do this, God says. I am the Lord your God. Our neighbor includes those with a disability or some type of disadvantage. Leviticus 19.15 says, don't pervert justice. Don't show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Verse 16 says, don't go about spreading slander about other people. Don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Verse 17 and 18 says, don't hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you'll not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among you because you should love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then finally, in verses 33 and 34, says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, don't mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were once foreigners in Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. I mean, did you catch that list there? Our family? The poor, the foreigner, those who are hurting, those we work for and with, those people added to other groups like the widow, the orphan, the oppressed, all fit into that blank that we opened this series with. Love your neighbor. 
However that person may be described, more than likely fits into what the Old Testament law was teaching all of us how to love our neighbor. These all help put into context just who our neighbor is. And it was well documented throughout all the Old Testament law that your neighbor wasn't just somebody who lived next to you, but it really included everyone. Did you catch how many times the Lord said, I am the Lord your God? He's doing that on purpose because he says, this is who I am. This is my character. This is how I behave. This is how I love. This is who I love. And you should follow me, emulate me. You should be like me in this. Max Lucado in his book, Unshakable Hope, writes this. It says, every person you see was created by God to bear his image and deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. This means all people deserve to be seen for who they are, image bearers of God. Would you let this truth define the way that you see people? Imagine the impact this idea would have on society that embraced it. What civility it would engender. What kindness it would foster. Racism will not flourish when people believe their neighbors bear God's image. The fire of feuds will have no fuel when people believe their adversaries are God's idea. Will a man abuse a woman? Not if he believes she bears the stamp of God. Will a boss neglect an employee? Not if she believes the employee bears a divine spark. Will society write off the indigent, the mentally ill, the inmate on death row, or the refugee? Not if we believe, truly believe, that every human being is God's idea, and he has no bad ideas. When you and I recognize that we are all created in the image of God, and that is especially true about whomever we may be locking eyes with, that it changes how we approach our love for others. When you and I embrace this covenant love of God and respond to him with love through faith, our commitment to God also brings with it a love for others, a love for everyone, because everyone is our neighbors. We're motivated by God's love for us to love others the way that he loves them. God often reminded the people of Israel how he felt about them. He would say to them often, I have loved you with a covenant love. I've loved you with an overwhelming love. He would remind them time after time after time of what he had done for them to express his love for them. In verse 34 of Leviticus 19 is one of those moments where he reminded them, I redeemed you, I rescued you from the land of slavery. This is where you once were. But because of my love, I reached out to you and brought you to me. He reminds them of that as instruction, but also as motivation. When you and I recognize the pain that we have suffered and how God has expressed his love to us in that pain, it's easier for us or should be to identify with and love those who are also experiencing some type of pain or suffering. It's common ground that we share. God provided this context of how he loved us as motivation for how we should love everyone else. The Old Testament law prescribed that we love people the way that God does, that we live like God and that we love like him as well. I think Leviticus is really just a a literary expression of God's desire for holiness to be reflected in our life and also behavior that's motivated by genuine love. 
Now back to this moment in Luke 10. When the expert in the law asked, who is my neighbor? He was looking to justify himself is what Luke records. It's more like looking for a loophole of who he didn't have to love. There were certainly many people on this man's list of who he would rather not love. But as we've already seen today, the Old Testament law was very clear that neighbor is anyone that we interact with, anyone that we see, anyone we lock eyes with, anybody that exists outside of ourselves. everyone is our neighbor. And we're to show them love in very practical, care and concerning ways because that has how God has demonstrated his love for us. So the question is, or that we're going to wrestle with for the, really the rest of this series is that question that was posed to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And it starts with recognizing that every person we lock eyes with has been created in God's image and is worthy of respect and dignity and love. We share this in common with every other human being. It's what we have in common with the people of Israel. It's what we have in common with each other. It's what we have in common with anybody that we interact with. And our response to a God who has loved us is to love others. God has showed us love and therefore we should love others. Regardless of whatever word we might use to describe them, whatever word we might fill in the blank as an adjective to before that neighbor. The neighbor that you might need to learn to love might be the person who popped into your mind when you began seeing those adjectives that we filled the blank in with. So to prepare our hearts for this, I want to just remind us of how we've been loved. Listen to what John writes in 1 John 4, 7 through 10. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son to the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What a powerful description of God's love. And what a powerful instruction of how we should love like him. So today, we're gonna practice. We've intentionally limited our worship gathering today about 10 minutes short. Many of you probably have watched the clock and thought, wait, he sounds like he's wrapping up. Well, we're not done yet, okay? We intentionally put time in this worship gathering to do something that is worshipful. We talk all the time about living and loving like Jesus is being with God, but it's also being with others. It includes being sent. So today, we called today Name Tag Sunday. When you came in today, you were asked to fill out a name tag. From my viewpoint, it looks like many of you did just that. So thanks for playing along. Thanks for engaging. And the reason we wanted to do that is we wanted to practice in loving our neighbor. Because guess what? Our neighbor includes the person that's sitting to your left, to your right, in front of you, or maybe behind you. And here's what I know. I know that you're probably seated by someone that you don't know the name of. 
It could be somebody, hopefully not the person you rode in the car with, but it could be somebody that you have sat next to for the last couple weeks, the last couple of months, or it could be that you've sat next to these people for the last couple of years, and yet you recognize their face because they always sit on the left side right in front of the soundboard or over by the baptistry, but you wouldn't be able to call their name if asked. Well, today we're going to fix that. Here's why. There is not a chance of us loving anybody outside of these walls if we cannot love the people who actually have made it inside these walls this morning. So we're not going to just leave that up to chance. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In just a few moments, I'm going to give you the next 10 minutes. You, you don't have to rush out and get your children. Our kids' ministry is involved in this moment, and they're committed to watching and caring and teaching kids until you show up to pick them up. The next 10 minutes, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to introduce yourself to that person that you do not know by name right now. And I hope that you'll start by saying, hi, my name is Phil. If you need to look at your name tag, you can. But underneath their name tag is a question. I think mine says, what do you like to do for fun? And so I'm going to say, hi, my name's Phil. And whatever their name tag asks me, I'm going to answer that question. You have time to think about it. You have time to talk about it. In fact, we hope that you linger just a little bit in here, or if you want to go out and grab a cup of coffee together and a donut, if you want to take each other to lunch, just don't forget to pick up your kids before you go, okay? But here's our reason why. The reason why is because God is very clear that if we don't love our neighbor, then we really don't love him. So today, we don't want to take that risk. Today, we want to love God as we love each other. And I hope that you'll take us up on this challenge. And when you have, enjoy the rest of your Sunday.